Well, it's good to be here again this evening, young people. It's a privilege to be here and good to see so many gathered out again tonight. And we're trusting the Lord uh, to be with us this evening as we come again to his word. It doesn't take Sherlock Holmes uh, to tell you or to work out what passage of scripture we're going to. Of the first night, we're in chapter 1 of Leviticus. The second night, we're in chapter 2. The third night, we're in chapter 3. The fourth night, we're in chapter 4. So there you have it, chapter 4. There's no test tonight. You're getting off, no test, no homework. Uh, letting you off is half term. I'm feeling gracious. And I trust you'll be gracious to me in return. But Leviticus chapter 4 this evening, uh, we're looking at the sin offering. And so we want to read some verses from this chapter. Now we're not going to read the whole chapter uh, for the sake of time. But we'll start at the beginning and we'll read down into this chapter, Leviticus chapter 4. Together, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock, Without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head. And kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood. And bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood. And sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock, For the sin offering, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks, and the caul above the liver, and the kidneys, it shall he take away. As it was taken away from the bullock of the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar of the burnt offering. And the skin of the bullock, and all his flesh, with his head and with his legs, and his inwards on his dung, even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place, where the ashes are poured out, and burn him on the wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, shall he be burnt. And if the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance, and the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done, and are guilty, when the sin which they have sinned against it is known, then the congregation shall offer a young bullock for the sin, and bring him before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands upon the head of the bullock before the Lord, and the bullock shall be killed before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall bring of the bullock's blood to the tabernacle of the congregation, And the priest shall dip his finger in some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord, even before the veil. 
He shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar which is before the Lord, that is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour out all of the blood at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He shall take all his fat from him and burn it upon the altar. He shall do with the bullock as he did with the bullock for a sin offering. So shall he do with this. And the priest shall make an atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. He shall carry forth the bullock without the camp, and burn him as he burned the first bullock. It is a sin offering for the congregation. Amen. And we end our reading there, at the verse 21. And we trust the Lord will bless as we have read his word together. We're just going to still our hearts for a moment or two as we come to the word and ask the Lord for his help. Eternal and loving God, we thank thee that already in this service tonight we have thought much about that once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. We pray, O God, as this service continues and now as we come to thy word and, and we seek to learn from thy word, O God, help us to see Christ again. And May the gospel message go forth, O God, in simplicity, but also in thy power and in thy spirit. I pray, O God, that thou wouldst help me, help me to speak plainly and, and clearly and simply. And may thy word go forth. We think of those words that we, we find recorded in the Psalms, we are to simply be still and to know that thou art God. And we pray that there would be a stillness in this gathering tonight, O God, and that every one of us would know that thou art here, would recognize that thou art almighty, and Lord would listen for thy still small voice. O God, come. We desire thy presence to come into our midst. Come and help us. Help me, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this evening in chapter 4, as I've said, we look at the sin offering. But I feel that I should say before we start, and I've said this to various people, maybe before the meetings or, or after them, just in conversation, with all of these offerings, we're only touching the surface. There's, there's so much more here. And you may have noticed as we have read different bits and pieces from these chapters that there are things that seem significant or significant differences between these offerings and they have not been commented on. That's just for sake of time. And we can't get in. We could spend a whole week on one of these offerings. But that would be difficult. It would be difficult for you and it would definitely be difficult for me. And so for the sake of time, we're just having a bit of a brief overview. But there's so much here that we could look at. But I feel I need to say that um, because I am conscious there are things in these chapters that we're maybe glazing over and not engaging with specifically. And, and that's, that's the reason why. So this evening we're coming to the sin offering. Uh, and the same sort of structure as previous evenings. I'm going to give you three headings. And seek to break up the material that we find in this chapter 4 concerning the sin offering. So firstly we want to think about the reason for the sin offering. The reason for the sin offering. And you look at the, the opening two verses of chapter 4 and we have the reason there for us and the Lord spake unto Moses saying speak unto the children of Israel saying if a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and shall do against any of them so so what's the purpose of the sin offering 
Why is it brought? Why is the sin offering necessary? Well, this one's relatively straightforward because of our sin. That's why the sin offering is necessary, because of man's sin. And the sin offering is an offering that is absolutely necessary. The previous three offerings, they are called voluntary offerings. They're classified as voluntary offerings. And they are described as a sweet savour unto the Lord. But the final two offerings, that's the sin offering and tomorrow night's the trespass offering, they're absolutely necessary. Because the Lord demands that these offerings be made. Why? Because of our sins. These final two offerings, the sin offering and the trespass offering, they deal with our transgression or the Old Testament believers' transgression of God's holy law. And in the previous offerings, for example, the burnt offering, we had an element, a theme of of atonement running through that. But these last two offerings bring that central theme of forgiveness and the necessity that we need to be forgiven for our sins. And we'll see that tonight and we'll see it tomorrow night as well. And so even at that point, we need just to pause and to recognize and realize the reality of sin. These last two offerings are absolutely necessary because of our sin. We need to be forgiven our sins if we're going to be accepted by God. And this reality of sin would very much have been played out in front of the Old Testament believer as he brings this sin offering. You, you, you picture what's happening here. The individual brings an innocent animal. And that innocent animal is presented. And then the individual that brings the offering, he places his hand upon the head of that animal. And in that moment when the individual does that, it becomes very clear to him and to everybody else that he's recognizing that, that this innocent animal must die. Why? Because of his sin. And so the reality of sin is impressed upon the individual in a very strong and a very personal way. They see their personal sin. They see the seriousness of sin. There is a price to be paid because of sin. And this animal that they have brought, innocent though it be, it must die because of the individual's sin. Now, of course, as we have said, every other night up to this point, that innocent animal that is sacrificed for guilty men and women, that's pointing forward. That's pointing forward to the New Testament scriptures. That's pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He is that Lamb without spot. All of those Old Testament sacrifices, the blood was shed. They couldn't take away sin, but they were pointing forward to Christ, that once for all sacrifice. His shed blood on Calvary that that washes the sins of his people away. And this offering, this this sacrifice, this animal, innocent animal that would shed its blood, lose its life, it's pointing to Christ, pointing to the Saviour. But as I say, when the individual stands there and places his hand upon the head of that animal, the seriousness of his sin is there in front of him. He's confronted with the seriousness of his sin. There's a price to be paid because of my sin. And we need to apply that to ourselves, Christian young people, Because if we fail to grasp the seriousness of sin, 
then we're failing to appreciate the holiness of God. And that's so important to see. If we fail to grasp the seriousness of sin, then we're failing to appreciate the holiness of God. These two things are related, if you like. If you have a very low view of sin, if you laugh off sin, if you excuse sin, if you freely engage in sin, then you don't have a very high view of God, do you? You don't have a very high view of his holiness and his standard. If you ignore the seriousness of sin, if you think that there are parts of God's law which he has given us that are too tight or too strict for you, so you forget about those particular bits and pieces, you feel that you'll do what suits you rather than what God's word says, then you're failing to grasp the holiness of God. You're failing to see that. And you're not honouring the Lord or fearing him or serving him or obeying him in the way that you should be. And Christian young people, there are many professing Christians today and that's exactly what they're doing. And do not think for a moment that I'm standing here pointing the finger at young people. It's not just young people. It's professing Christians of all ages. And there are bits and pieces of God's law that they set to the side because it doesn't suit them. You speak to some professing Christians about the Lord's day. What's that? The Sabbath? That's not for me. That doesn't apply to us anymore. And they will dismiss it. Just like that. Like it's nothing. Blasphemy. Something we we see all the time. The language of some people that profess to be Christians. The things that some people that profess to be Christians speak about and laugh about. Well remember... In my final years of secondary school and then into university as well, meeting people that professed to be Christians and the things that they said and the language that they used didn't add up. It wasn't consistent with their profession of faith in Christ. It was alarming. And Christians, some professing Christians can be loose in their living and they do things that are very best, at very best we would call questionable. There's little or no acknowledgement that they have a testimony to keep, never mind guarding that testimony with all their might. Christian young people, sin is not something to laugh off. It's not. It's serious. We see that in this offering. There's a price to be paid for sin. Sin is something that is against God, and God is holy. Isn't that what the scripture says? Holy, holy, holy. That, that's our God. And if we fail to grasp the seriousness of sin, we are not appreciating the holiness of God. And that's the simple reality. So we need to acknowledge the seriousness of sin. And the seriousness of sin is seen when the individual places their hand on that animal. That animal would die because of their sin. You notice what the verse 2 of Leviticus 4 actually says. It speaks there uh, of... Sin through ignorance. That's what the offering was made for. Sin through ignorance. That's the purpose. That's the reason for the sin offering. Sin through ignorance. Now that's an interesting detail. This sin offering was made when an individual had sinned but perhaps was not aware of it. Was ignorant of that fact. 
They did not know that they had sinned. Maybe it was an unintentional sin. It was an accident. It wasn't something that they intended. Maybe it was a sin that they committed because they were ignorant or unaware of some part of the law of God. Or maybe they had forgotten some part of the law of God and therefore they accidentally sinned. Inadvertently they committed a sin. It it wasn't outright rebellion. It wasn't open and deliberate and willful rebellion. It was done in ignorance. Something they forgot about or were unaware about in the law of God. You see, Christian young people, in the Bible, there is a difference made between sins committed in ignorance, that's accidental sins, if you like, and deliberate sins. There is that difference in Scripture. You could commit a sin in ignorance. You you do something that, at the time, you didn't perceive to be sin. It wasn't deliberate. Or you could do something very sinful deliberately. The Bible calls that a presumptuous sin. It's flagrant, it's willful, it's done on purpose. And we see this displayed, if you turn to the Psalms and to Psalm 19, you see this illustrated for us in a very plain fashion because both these kinds of sin are set the one beside the other. And the Psalmist David is writing here, I suppose really this is a prayer David is offering unto the Lord. Psalm 19 and the verse 12. It says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Now, what's a secret fault? It's a sin committed in ignorance. Something that the individual was unaware that they had done. But look at the next one. Look at verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression so verse 13 presumptuous sins that's that's deliberate that's premeditated that's planned sin and the very fact that david asks for preservation from presumptuous that is deliberate sins that highlights that even as believers we're susceptible to that believers can be guilty of deliberate sin and we need to be aware of that we need to be on our guard against that you think about the life of david as a whole he was a man even though he knew the Lord, but was guilty of presumptuous sin. He looked upon Bathsheba. He took her. He lay with her. He he tried to cover up that sin. And ultimately, he took the life of another man to cover up that sin. That's deliberate. That's, That's presumptuous sin. And child of God, we need to be aware of that. It's not just a case that the Christian can can accidentally sin. We can willfully sin. We need to be on our guard and ask the Lord to prevent us from doing that. But the sin offering that we read about in Leviticus chapter 4, as we have said, it was to be offered for sins committed in ignorance. There was no offering for deliberate sin. There's no offering for deliberate sin in the Old Testament. In fact, if, if you look at Numbers in the chapter 15, the verse 30, it says, But the soul that doeth ought presumptuously... Whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. So there's no offering for deliberate sin. Now, does that mean then that if you or I commit a deliberate sin, a sin that we knew was wrong, but we went on ahead and and did it, does that mean that we can't be forgiven? Well, remember David. He sinned presumptuously, deliberately. He knew what he was doing. He did it anyway, and that sin was forgiven, and David was restored. 
So yes, of course there is forgiveness for us if we sin deliberately. But what we're trying to say here in Leviticus chapter 4 is that this sin offering was for sins committed in ignorance. And the whole point of this is, even our sins that are accidental, they still need to be covered in the blood. They still need to be atoned for. Maybe we didn't mean them, maybe it was an accident. Maybe we weren't even aware we were doing it at the time. But it still needs to be covered in the blood. It still needs to be atoned for. So you see the seriousness of sin. Even accidental sin. The seriousness of sin. And and so having seen that. Having seen the reason for the sin offering. It's there to, to cover. To cleanse away those sins of ignorance. Now we need to look at the regulation in the sin offering. So that's our second heading. And and as with previous offerings, perhaps more so in the sin offering, there's a lot of detail here about how the sin offering is to be carried out. In fact, what we have in chapter 4 is four scenarios, four scenarios, as I say, that that are given, and the details presented to us how the sin offering should be carried out in each of these situations. And so from verse 3, we read how the sin offering is to be presented if the priest who is anointed is guilty of sin. Now, who's the priest that's anointed? Well, the only priest that's anointed is the high priest. And so if the high priest here in the Old Testament is guilty of sin, we read from verse 3 onwards what is to happen. And a young bullock without blemish is to be taken, killed, the blood sprinkled seven times on the veil of the sanctuary, some blood presented on the horns of the altar of incense and some, the rest of the blood poured out at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering. So that's what's to happen uh, if the high priest sins. In verse 13 we read what is to happen if the whole congregation sins. And again, the bullock is taken. This time though, the elders of the nation place their hand on the sacrificed animal. Because they represent the people. But it's the same process as before. From verse 22 then onwards, we read what is to happen if a ruler needs to bring a sin offering. This time it's a male kid and the blood is applied to the horns of the altar, poured out at the bottom of the altar. Verse 27, when a common individual, the likes of you and me, when we needed to bring a sin offering, again a kid but a female, and the blood presented once more in the same fashion and what we see in in all four of these scenarios are lots of similarities but also subtle differences and the one subtle difference that i that, that i would point out to you this evening is this there is to be a separate offering for those in authority those who held authority in old testament israel when they sinned there was a separate offering for their sin the high priest the ruler When they sinned, there was a separate offering for them. In fact, if you look at verse 3 there of chapter 4, it says, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people. Now, now that clause, do sin according to the sin of the people, uh, that, that could essentially mean that if the high priest's sin caused the people to sin, and that's a very real risk for the high priest, He was charged with a ministry with much responsibility. He stood in a place of leadership. And therefore, whenever he got things wrong, whenever he strayed into sin, he could inadvertently bring other people with him. 
And so what we're reminded here is whenever we see the sins of the leaders, the high priests, the rulers, and they had to be dealt with separately, we're reminded that with great response, with great privilege rather, comes great responsibility. Leadership is a solemn thing. And these men that had positions of authority, it was a great responsibility. And when they failed, there were certain circumstances. With great privilege, the privilege of, of authority and position comes great responsibility and greater consequences when we fail. And we can apply that even to the New Testament church. And you think about how the Lord has instructed the New Testament church to be instituted and, and the authority structure there. There is to be ministers, there is to be elders, there is to be overseers, bishops, as the scriptures will call the role of, of both minister and elder. It is a solemn and a serious thing to hold one of those positions, to oversee the flock of God. And each one that holds that position will give an account to God. And we've got to see the seriousness of this. Just as those in authority in the Old Testament, their sins were dealt with separately, because of their position. So in the New Testament we're told. That, that, that everyone who holds this office of overseer. Minister or elder. We will give account. For how we have conducted our ministry. Privilege to hold position. Of course it is. But it brings with it responsibility. And there are consequences. When that position is betrayed. And so we're thinking about privilege. But also responsibility. The privilege of holding office, but the great responsibility and the great consequence whenever we betray that office. You think about that, young people. There are many in our own nation today that are greatly privileged. They're maybe not rulers, they maybe have no authority in our nation, but they're greatly privileged in that they've been brought up in Christian homes, they know the message of the gospel. They have been surrounded by the gospel from their earliest of days. They know the way of salvation. They know how to be saved. They know how to live a life that pleases the Lord. They have that awesome privilege. And yet they do nothing with it. They have not come to Christ. They're not saved. They have the privilege of being instructed in this book. Of knowing that, that Christ is the way, the truth and the life. And yet... They haven't come to the Lord. And there's many in this world tonight who don't even know the name of Christ. And yet there's people in our nation, maybe in this room, and, and you're privileged with being brought up in a Christian home, knowing the gospel message, but you still not have received the Savior. You have the privilege of knowing the gospel message. But having that privilege, you have the responsibility to receive that message. That's your responsibility. Nobody else's. To receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. To confess your sins. To call on him for salvation. And if you have that privilege. And you have shunned your responsibility to come to Christ. You need to know there will be consequences for you. Matthew's gospel in the chapter 11. We see this illustrated for us. The Savior paints a picture that is exceedingly solemn. In Matthew chapter 11, 
And the verse 20, the Saviour speaks and says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. And what's the Saviour saying? I've performed the miracles. You have seen my power. You have heard the gospel message. And you still haven't repented and come to me. And if I had done all of these things in some of these other places, they would have come. But you have this privilege. And now you have the responsibility of receiving the gospel message and coming unto me. But you haven't done it. Therefore, there will be consequences. Solemn, eternal consequences. And that's the warning, young people. What a privilege you have in knowing the gospel message. But it's your responsibility to receive it. And if you don't, then there will be consequences. We see also there when we look at these regulations in the sin offering. That the blood of this offering for the high priest, his sins and for the the congregation, it was to be applied in three different ways. We see that the blood is to be sprinkled on the veil. Sprinkled seven times. Now in the scripture, seven is the number of perfection, the number of completion. But it's significant to note that it was sprinkled on the veil. The blood is sprinkled on the veil. Now you fast forward to Calvary. And as the Saviour sheds his blood at Calvary, what happens in the temple? The veil's rent, top to bottom. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have acceptance with God. Not only is the blood sprinkled on the veil, it's also placed on the horns of the altar of sweet incense. And we said the other evening when we thought about the meat offering incense in the Bible, it pictures prayer. And of course, we're reminded then, why do we have the right to pray to God? Why do we have the right to access God and commune with God? Because of Christ's shed blood. He has made that way for us. And the remainder of the blood, it's poured out at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering. That's towards one of the outer courts of, 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 of the temple. And so the blood is presented within and without the holy place. You see the importance of Christ's death. Do you see the importance of Christ's blood? Do you see why Paul says in Ephesians, we have redemption, how through his blood the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin there's no other way to have acceptance with God there's no other way of atonement there's no other way of sins forgiven it's the blood of Christ which takes away sin and that's why we keep preaching the cross that's why we keep preaching redemption through Christ's blood you look at the regulations here in chapter 4 you'll see in verses 11 and 12 that that the body and certain parts of the body of this animal were then to be taken outside of the camp and burnt outside of the camp. Well, of course, that takes us to consider our Saviour as well. You turn to Hebrews and the chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. 
Hebrews 13, reading from the verse 11. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city but we seek one to come. You see the the significance of that? Verse 12. Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. And when these parts of the animal were taken outside outside the city and, and burnt in that place were reminded of Christ's suffering outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem on that cross of Calvary. Again we're taken to the cross. Again we're taken to his once for all sacrifice, his shed blood. And so we see the reason for the sin offering. We see the regulation in the sin offering. Finally, I leave you, as literated tonight as well, with the remission in the sin offering. Remission. Remission. Whether an individual was the high priest, a ruler, whether it was the whole congregation or just an individual common person, there was only one way to know that they had forgiveness for their sin. How? Through the sin offering. That's the only way. The only way they knew they were forgiven was whenever they went to the sin offering. And the same is true today. There's only one way to know that we have forgiveness with God. There's only one way to know that all is well with our souls and our sins are washed away. That's through the sin offering. And I'm not talking about uh, an animal slain on an altar many years ago. I'm talking about the perfect sin offering, Jesus Christ. He is the only way. Cleansing in his blood is the only way to know that our sins are forgiven. And all is well with our souls. We've said it so many times. We have to in this study because it's true. All of these offerings, they're pointing to Christ. That once for all sacrifice. Only his blood can atone for our sin. Wash our sin away. He's the only saviour of men. You look at the final words in verse 20. What does it say? And it shall be forgiven them. Look at verse 26, the final words, and it shall be forgiven him. Look at verse 31. What are the final words? It shall be forgiven him. Look at verse 35, the final words. It shall be forgiven him. How did these people know that their sins were forgiven? By the blood of the Lamb that was shed on the offering, and by the word of God, because they obeyed his command to shed that blood here in this book. And it's the same today. How do you know that your sins are forgiven? Because they've been washed in Jesus Christ's blood. How do we know that's enough? Because the word of God tells us. Because the word of God tells us. That's God's promise. When we come to Christ in the way that he has instructed us to. Remembering that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. Then the Lord receives us. Our sins are washed away. That is the promise of God. So as I finish this evening, I ask again, as I have every other evening, do you know this sin offering? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you that firm confidence and assurance in your heart that your sins are washed away because you've placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ?
You're looking to him. You're trusting in him. You've repented of your sin. You've cried to him for, for his mercy. You know that their sins are washed away. Why? Because the word of God says when you come to Christ in his appointed way, when you cry out for mercy, when you look in Christ to faith, then you'll be saved. That's what the word of God says. Jesus Christ says, come on to me and I will give you rest. Young people, if you don't know the Lord, if you're not saved, if you need help, speak to some of the leaders. We can't help you in the sense of saving you, but we will take the word of God and show you the assurance in the word of God. How you can be saved, the steps you need to follow. It's simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You can't save yourself. I can't save you. Nobody else can. Only Christ can. Let's bow in prayer. Eternal and loving God, we thank thee that there is an offering that takes away our sin. The Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee and we rejoice in all those that are gathered here that that know Christ, that know their sins are forgiven uh, and are walking with thee. We pray that thou wouldst build them up in their faith and help them to go forward, O God. Help us all to go forward, whatever stage we're at. Lord, we pray for any who may be here who know not the Savior. May they come to him as they are invited. May they know peace with God even tonight. O God, bless our fellowship. and Bless the good things to our bodies. Take us home in safety. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.